you'd open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. As Ken reiterated, as the elders were committed to the authority of Scripture, God's God-breathed revelation to us in that statement regarding the New Apostolic Reformation in the foyer is, we hope, communicates that value. Part of God's Word is 1 Corinthians 13. This is a flowery chapter to many, and oftentimes we're like, well, it's a nice little thing to read at a wedding, maybe an anniversary. And, um, but I think sometimes we forget this is God's Word to us, God's revelation. And so I want to read the whole chapter, and we're going to ask God to teach us. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I, if I have all the faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous, and love does not brag, and it is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, it's not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things, and it endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease, and if there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, and think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now abide faith, hope, and love. These three but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, as we bow this morning, we freely confess, we acknowledge that we can only love because you first loved us. Out of the inexhaustible resources of your mercy, out of the great depths of your love, which we cannot know the width, the height, the depth, it's that love which you've loved us with. And we thank you and praise you for that because any discussion on love we know starts there. And so it's only fitting we call upon you to teach us about your love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Several things struck me this week again, and, and it was this idea that we, we tend to look at this chapter, uh, and, and this morning this might come to you as a reminder you might be familiar with these words maybe you're not that familiar with the, these words and this might be kind of new and maybe you've heard them but maybe not a lot this might come as conviction which is always the case when we open God's word some of these some of these knives might cut a little bit if you're like me and so I don't know where you're at I just know that this is for us but one of the things we forget about this chapter it seems to me, is its context. It's not 
in original context written to couples. It's not written to newlyweds. It's not written even to individuals in a certain relationship. It's written to a church community. That's the context. The church in Corinth. A messed up community, I may add, which we'll touch upon. Their overemphasis on gifts, spiritual gifts, is evident. He comes off the uh, heels of chapter 12, and he's going to revisit it in chapter 14. Tucked right in the middle is this instruction on what real love is and how it's to play itself out. In Romans 12, it's interesting, Paul talks to the church in Rome about spiritual gifts. And on the heels of that, he says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what's evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. It's right after spiritual gifts again. I find it really interesting that God wants us to know it's not what we bring to the table by way of giftedness, which, by the way, he's gifted us with. It's not how eloquent we can do things. It's not how great we are in the marketplace. He's trying to say to us, without love, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter to get to the end of your life and say, I climbed the ladder in my profession. doesn't matter if you say, I had a bunch of kids I raised and they turned out, well, not so bad. It doesn't matter if there's not love. You didn't live well if you didn't love well. That's what this chapter is really challenging us. So it's written to a corporate community, and we're in a series on growing authentic community, and so what better way to wrap it up than to look at God, how God says we are to love each other. This is his blueprint. This is his recipe. It's not a feeling. It supersedes differences. Love for one another really is a gauge of whether your love for God is hot. First John, the whole book, talks about that. Well, if we look at especially verse 4 through 7, a good way to read this is to plug Jesus' name in before each of the ingredients. In other words, Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He is not jealous. And so we put Jesus' name in each of those qualities and we recognize that 1 Corinthians 13 is following Jesus' model. Now put your name in there. Matt is patient. I gotta stop. I gotta stop right there because I've already failed the list. And I only got the first attribute. Matt's not patient. That's my family. And so now I'm in a quandary. I got a passage that tells me to be something that I can't be. How does that work? I remember, I don't, it seemed like many years ago that Spider-Man 1 came out. I remember sitting, we watched Spider-Man 1 in the theater, and um, I remember there was somebody near me, and as we're watching Peter Parker fly around buildings, off a web he shot out of his wrist, somebody said, you know, that's not realistic. I stopped and thought for a minute. Let's see. You got a young Peter Parker bit by a spider. He's now able to shoot webs out of his wrist. He's able to jump over coming semis. He's able to put them, splash them webs on buildings and skyscrapers and swing all over. What part of that did you even think would be realistic? Of course it's not realistic. Peter Parker and Spider-Man, when I went to the movie, I didn't expect realistic. Apparently somebody in the theater did. Now you might look at this passage and say, what this guy in the theater did, that's impossible. 
I can't do that. You're right. You can't. Jesus can. He's the perfect model. You can't do it, but the good news of the gospel is Christ in you can be patient. Christ in you can be kind. Christ in you cannot be jealous. And so as we approach this, understand, without Christ in the equation of it, forget it. It's hopeless. But Christ in you can allow us as a community to live these out. Let's break this down. Patient. Patient. What does it mean to be patient with one another in the community? Again, community context. Proverbs 14, 29. He who is slow to anger, patient, has great understanding. Could it be that impatience is tied to a lack of understanding? A lack of understanding about God's patience for us, towards us. A lack of understanding about what it means to put others first. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us God is patient with you. You and I can't pass on to others in the body when we don't recognize and receive God's patience towards us. Christ in you can act with patience. Because love is patient, a loving community demonstrates patience with one another. We can look at each other and recognize we don't have it all figured out. We can look at one another and say, they probably didn't say that the way they wanted to. We can look at one another and recognize we haven't arrived yet spiritually. We do struggle. We do make mistakes. But God's community is patient. We're told love is kind. Has the idea gracious, tender, helpful. This action seems to be coming rarer today. I mean, think about it. When's the last time you looked at someone and walked away and said, you know, that person really kind. Hey, we don't use the word much. But God does. He says his love is kind. We're told, not surprisingly, God's kindness leads to our repentance. Once again, he's our perfect example. So let me ask you, what's your kindness quotient? Your IQ means nothing. But what's your, patience, or your kindness quotient? Are you kind? Now, the word kindness is interesting. The Greek word also was employed to describe food that tasted tasty, that was tasty as well as healthy. Now, that would sound weird if we used it in that context, wouldn't it? We would say, what an excellent meal that was. The vegetables were especially kind. We, we wouldn't use it that way. But isn't that true, though? Kindness is both healthy and good. It's good and healthy. It's good and healthy for you personally, but certainly for our relationships in the church community. You see, kindness says hello and then goes and gets coffee and donut for you. That's kindness. When was the last time you did something especially kind for someone in the, in the body? You know, when I, I think of kindness, my friend Brian comes to mind, and, and sometimes I look at Brian and go, man, you're, you're going a little overboard here. He's a kind man. My father-in-law stands as one of the kindest men I think I've ever met. Kindness. You see, those who are kind, their hearts are quietly kind. They don't broadcast it. They let moms ahead of them in checkouts. They look for specific ways to show that kindness to others. They got like a radar in the foyer and during the week. 
looking at how they can express kindness. Now, what about, what about the person you're having trouble with? Suppose you surprise them with kindness. What if you did that? We don't always get along with each other. But what if we surprise those that we're not getting along with, with kindness? What if we were what Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Once again, he's the model. And he says love is kind. Kindness is the one who expresses it. And in God's church, the community should be filled with kindness to each and every one. We're told God's love is not jealous. Now, in the context of Corinthians, they were jealous of each other's giftedness, and, and we're told that they were jealous of, of other persons' wives. They were jealous of everything. They were jealous because they didn't have something, so they sued one another. I mean, this church reeked of jealousy. And we're told here it's not jealous. Jealousy is possessive. It's, it's envious of one another. Proverbs 27.4, wrath is fierce and anger a flood, but who can stand before jealousy? Some are inflamed with jealousy. Proverbs 14.30, peace of mind means a healthy body, but jealousy, that rots the bones. That's pretty harsh language. I want that position. I wish I had that. How can that person say that? I mean, I want to be like that. And I want to be looked at at that level. Jealousy. It'll rot your bones. A loving community trusts God to provide what we need. And it, it even takes the extra step. It applauds the way God's blessed others. It doesn't long for those things. God's love is not jealous. Jealousy can't survive when God's people truly love one another. There's no room for jealousy when we're grateful and when we love one another. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. It avoids magnifying self. You see, arrogant is what we are. Brag is what we do. And he says, neither one's love, not surprisingly. Apparently, there were some in Corinth who were bragging about spiritual gifts, their roles, their status. Paul says, it's, it's not love. Students, you understand this probably better than adults. It's called a pecking order. You go to school, and, and, and there are apparently those who are the, the pecking order police who try to determine who's cool and who's not. And so if you're shorter, you're set aside. You're down the pecking order. Maybe if you, you kind of have weird glasses or, or, or you have a limp or something that makes you stand out maybe in a, a way that this group decides isn't cool, you're placed in a pecking order. God's love has no pecking order. It does not brag. It does not boast. There's no room in God's family for the pecking order. Matthew 23, 5 through 7, you might want to read it. Pharisees placed themselves on the top of the pecking order. Jesus came along and said, you know what? The greatest among you shall be the last. He flipped it all the way upside down. There's a way of doing that. Because God's love's not like human love. It's different. It's not arrogant. It does not brag. Because reality is how do you love others if your eyes are on yourself? Philippians 2.3, consider one another better than yourself. Honor one another above yourself, scriptures tell us. 
If you really want to love, put others first. Yes, accept your part in God's plan. He's given you a part. Rejoice in that. But don't have an exaggerated view of yourself. Honor one another. In community, in the church, everyone feels important, but nobody acts important. That's how it works in God's church. Everybody feels important, but nobody acts important. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. NIV says it does not dishonor others. It behaves properly. ESV says it's not rude. What does that look like? To have love, not act unbecomingly. Uh, Joe Stoll wrote an article years ago I kept. I, I just appreciate it. He calls the article, Stealth Sins. In it he said, What a master stroke of Satan's strategy to get us involved in this horrid business of tearing one another down. The stealth sins, he said, fly under the radar of our conscience. And he identifies two of the main stealth sins. Gossip and slander. He says, gossip and slander are left to drop their insanitary bombs at will on unsuspecting and often undeserving victims. That's not love. That's acting unbecomingly. That's not behaving properly. That's rude. That's not love, God says. Because it does the opposite of honoring one another. Love, uh, love does not dishonor one another. But when we act unbecomingly, we do dishonor one another. Sinful attitudes, speech, actions, they can all dishonor. And love doesn't act that way. Max Lucado referred to this part of the verse as a common call to courtesy. A loving community honors one another. It's not rude. It's words. Its actions, its demeanor shows honor and value to one another. Love does not seek its own. ESV says does not insist on its own way. It's not self-seeking. What love does do is it supports one another. We've had to learn this at times, don't we? I've had to learn that there are other ways to accomplish what needs to be done. Oftentimes there's a lot better ways than mine. And so it's not just my uh, seeking my way isn't the only way. There's other ways better than the way I think we should. And, and love doesn't seek its own way. It's humble in its expression. A growing and loving community makes ways for different approaches, different perspectives, different plans. Because in God's economy, in God's community, love does not seek its own. It's not provoked means to fly off the handle, old expression. It's not easily angered. And when you and I act and respond in anger, there's a flag, we're not acting in a loving manner. Now as a parent, if you're like me, sometimes pretty easy to write off, isn't it? You make me so mad. Nobody can make me mad. Quit that. That's a cop-out. Love does not act in anger. You and I choose to act in anger. That's not love. It's not God's love. And anger doesn't belong in his community because love is not provoked. But when we get hurt, we get hot, right? It's a defense mechanism. But God says, no, understand something. That's not love. That's not how my community works. It might be a defense mechanism, but one thing it's not is love because love's not provoked. If we're growing in love, we find anger diminishing. 
And really, if you think about it, we're back to love is patient, right? We're not provoked if love would be patient, so they certainly tie together quite well. I remember a church I used to attend to years ago. I'm, as I was attending there, uh, someone was telling me a story. <clears throat> I don't know the, how it came up, but they said, we had this deacon they were telling me about who got so upset with the pastor, he walked in there and decked him. I thought, oh, man, that just doesn't sound like how the church is supposed to be. No, love, that's not God's love. It's not easily provoked. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Ouch. This is a tough passage when you get to stuff like that. Let's be honest. We have a ledger full of stuff done to us. And we have it recorded for proof. Proof against that person. Should they ever accuse us of anything, we got the trump card. But you did this. Love doesn't do that. That's not love. That's not forgiveness. That's not how God's family works. Love harbors no grudges. It, instead, it forgives. Spiros Zodiades, a scholar, says love does not permit the evil that is flung at us to become embedded in our memory. Well put. Rather than store up the sour, why don't we store up the sweet? Do you want to make a list? Okay. Make a list of things you're grateful for. Make a list of things that other person does well. Make a list, but make the right list. If Jesus can forgive you for your sins, certainly you and I can forgive others. I personally believe it's an affront to the cross to not forget it, forgive another person. Jesus died for our sins, and so... Don't take into account a wrong suffered against you. A loving community has a free flow of forgiveness being extended. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It does not delight in evil. Love and truth go hand in hand. It never leads to demand. It never manipulates emotions. Love seeks the good of other people. It does not cause a brother to stumble. It's not loving to entertain evil. It's not loving to bring evil into the community or into other relationships. Which ties really into what a loving community does. He tells us what a loving community is, but then he tells us what a loving community does. He says it not only does not rejoice in our righteousness, but what it does do, it rejoices with the truth. And again, love and truth, love and authenticity are partners. It's an idea of what's real and what's true. Love doesn't play around. At times it shoots straight, knows when to be quiet. Loving communities embrace truth for, uh, truth for sure. They can engage in robust dialogue. That can happen because there's love. Love rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in authenticity of being real and having real community. Love rejoices in that. It says something else love does. Is it bears all things. This is a unique word. It's a powerful word. It's the only New Testament, when it's used in the New Testament, it's the only, Paul's the only guy who uses it. It's rendered endure, but the main idea of the word is that it covers all things. Covers all things. Love covers all things. It's the idea of concealing, covering. 
You could say it's this idea of covering with a cloak of love, as one author says. That's how the New Theological Dictionary of New Testament explains that. You ever remember receiving a cloak? I did. And um, a couple examples of how this plays out. One is there was a high school basketball player. And during a practice one time, the coach had said something unkind to one of the players. This other player stood up for him. And I don't think the other player knew at this time what he did to his teammate is cover him with a cloak of love. He defended him. That's what love does. I have something really special to me. Dwayne? Dwayne's liking this right now. But I'm a Badger fan, so I don't get too excited about the hat. Uh, but it, it, it's, it looks like a hat, but it's not a hat. It's a cloak. The first surgery when I was at Mayo Clinic, we were still pretty new here. We didn't know a lot of people. And so, you know, a lot of people still trying to feel us out and everything. And, and into my hospital room walked Tim and Anna Amit. And they brought me a cloak. They loved on us. They didn't know us well. Probably at this point might not have known all the names of our children at this point. But they came because they cared. And they probably recognized they're down there, probably feel all alone. And they came with a cloak. To me, those examples are probably the best way to define what Paul's talking about here. Love covers one another with a cloak of love. Beautiful word picture Paul gives us. Maybe you pay a gas bill for a struggling person. Maybe you invite an overlooked person to a movie. Maybe you see a hurting person and you go sit with them and just listen. Maybe you go to a funeral and you see one of the family alone and weeping and, and you go alongside them, put your arm around them and just let them weep. When you do those things, you put a cloak of love over them. Because love bears all things. It believes all things. Love believes in each other. In the Greek, it says all things believe does love. How do you believe? You show up. Nothing takes the place of your presence. You show up for each other. You show up for invites. You show up for events. You listen up. You listen to them. You listen to what's going on in their life. You speak up. Death and life or in the power of the tongue, Proverbs 18, 21. Ephesians 4, 29, we are to speak words that build up. It's talking about believing in each other. Each conveys you believe in the person. And you communicate to them, I believe in you. God can use you. And yes, things might not have gone the way you wanted, but I believe in you. Because God believes in you. Love hopes all things. It expects the best. It believes mistakes are not the end. It instills hope. That's what the word encouraging really means, to instill courage. It's this idea here of instilling hope. It points people to use gifts. It helps them to see their impact. It brings hope to those who are hurting. But before you can instill hope, you need to see one another. In the hospital... Um, we had a situation where um, my wife looked in the side of my bed and there was 
all kinds of blood. And the nurses kind of noticed it, but they thought they just need to clean the sheets because it must have been, you know, no big deal. So they rolled me over, and it was full of blood. You know, until we roll over one another and really look, there's some bleeding people in our community who are really hurting. They need hope. They need us, one another, to come alongside each other and say there's hope. This this struggle, this hurt, it's not the end. Love does that. God's love brings hope. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Loving communities stick with each other. Through mistakes, through conflict, through challenges, to those moments we get really tired and really weak and don't feel like it. Love endures all those things. It's committed to the covenant community. It's committed to the covenant we make with one another. Love endures. When there's love, and when love has no evidence necessarily, it bears, it believes, it hopes, it endures all things. Please make sure you and I express to one another our love. Sometimes the sweetest words, I think, human language are the words, I love you. It costs you and I nothing to say it. But it means everything to a lot of people. I love you. The greatest of these we're told in the text is love. Love never fails, we're told in verse 8. When we act in love the way God wants us to love, you and I can take it to the bank. It won't fail to have an impact when we love the way God wants. As a community, we're going to celebrate victories ahead. Together, we're going to share grief. We're going to see God bring about great spiritual fruit. We'll experience some difficulties. There'll be a relational strain, for sure. But those don't define us. What does define us in God's desire is love. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You and I are called, we're empowered to be a loving community. One of my children recently asked me, how can I pray for you? I thought hard about that. This was in my mind a little bit. My answer was that I could love well. And might that be true of all of us? That love would define us. That God's love would define us. And may Elam continue to be a loving community that loves well for the praise of our great God. Let's pray. Lord, um, mornings like this, um, I'm reminded very, very clearly of the imperfect messenger up here. And I look at my brothers and sisters and I see those who should be up here, who exhibit great kindness, who instill hope in so many powerful ways. And Lord, I guess I say that because it's one of the interesting things to me, God, is that you call us to be a loving community, and it's in community we best demonstrate what this even looks like. Because you and us, Lord, we can live this out. Might we continue to be followers of you who submit to you regularly, who allow you to live through us, 
and to love through us. It's our sincere desire, God, corporately, to be known by your love. To be a loving people. Not a human love, but a divine love. A love of a different kind. That's what we would desire, God. And the beautiful thing is we know it's what you desire. So please work in us. Please work through us. So that you would be praised. You'd be pleased by the way we love one another. And it's in your name, Jesus, we do pray. Amen.